Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. This season, we are talking all about tech ethics, and today we're going to be exploring what that looks like in a fintech company. And we have with us a very special guest for that discussion, Kara Hill. Hi, Kara, how are you? Hi, Cindy, how are you? Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. So let me tell you all a little bit about Kara before we jump into the conversation. Kara is the Corporate Chief Information Officer and Transformation Lead at FIS Global. FIS Global is a fintech company, and there she leads a global team of technology professionals who deliver information technology and support services to over 70,000 colleagues around the world. So she's dealing with a lot of really big issues. (laughs) These issues include hardware and software applications and mobile devices that are used by FIS Global Workforce. She also currently is leading what's called Workspace Next. It's a transformational program for focused on creating a workspace for the future of FIS. Kara comes to this position with over 20 years of experience in the fintech industry. And let me tell you a little bit about FIS and what a fintech company um, really does. So FIS Global creates technology and solutions and services for merchants and banks and capital markets so that they can advance the way the world pays banks and invests. So a very important connector, a very important kind of part of that entire system, that financial system is where FIS sits and Kara sits as the corporate chief information officer. So we're just thrilled to have you here today, Kara. Thank you so much. Oh, great. I'm thrilled to be here and, and really excited about what you're doing in the business integrity program at the University of Arkansas. Really happy to be a part of this. Thank you. And yeah, you are also on my external advisory board for the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative. And we are a better board because of your leadership and participation. I always like the audience to get to know the guests just a little bit themselves beyond what it says on paper. So tell us a little bit about your journey, Kara, and how you ended up in the position you're in for a fintech company. Sure, absolutely. So I started out in finance, uh, majored in finance at Boston College and spent about 10 years, um, you know, in finance. During that time, I very quickly learned uh, that, you know, in order to be successful in finance, I really needed to understand the technology. Um, Technology was moving to the forefront of everything we were doing, a lot of transitions from Um, you know, early computing applications to more advanced um, applications, networking became, you know, possible. Email came into being, the internet came into being, you know, all of the, a lot of the the things that we take for granted today were brand new then. And then I figured out that not only did I, did I need to understand it, I really liked it. Um, I found that I was really energized by it. I liked the people I was, you know, I was working with in technology I liked working with 
um, the applications and just the overall concepts around that, the time that I was making the transition into technology, information security became oh yeah just, a, it exploded onto the scene as something that was so critical that we needed to understand. Data privacy laws started to be passed. You know, it, it, that's how it all came together. And I found my way into tech through the security, data privacy, and compliance um, areas. So, well, they're also interconnected these days. I mean, it's like, where does one end and the other start, right? So, let's start with that point about data. As a fintech company and a connector for banks and merchants and the capital markets, I imagine that a company like FIS deals with a lot of data. So how do you manage all of that responsibly and ethically? Because it's a big worry of a lot of, you know, companies and individuals these days. The highest priority to FIS is is making sure we we protect the data. It really starts at the top. Um, And with any organization, I think that's always true, right? And that the expectations are set by our board um, and our executive leadership team. So we have, you know, we have three, three values. When is one team, um, you know, lead with integrity and be the change that is ingrained in everything we do is, is leadership with integrity. In addition to that, we're always very focused on the three C's. So it's our clients, our colleagues, and the communities that we, you know, we, we live and work in every day where we are reminded and on, and on a very regular basis, we talk about, you know, impact of what we do on the three C's, right? How does this impact our clients? How does this impact our colleagues? How does this impact our communities? And from there, it's about establishing governance practices and right. The, right, um, the right visibility and transparency into what we're doing so that the board and, and the um, executive leadership team um, you know, are able to manage and make sure that we're meeting all of our, our requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly we're audited against those requirements uh, from a data security and data privacy perspective, you know, but can't say enough about our values and our focus on the three C's because- Yeah, I know. And you know what? I'm really glad you started there because I think that um, sometimes individuals and in companies can give the importance of values and and things like the three C's that have grounded FIS short shrift in terms of, eh, you know, it's just the words and it's it's you know that's that's really just all it is and it but it isn't if a company truly believes in its values, you see it playing out in the way the leaders lead every day and you know how they are bringing those values to life so they actually are are meaningful absolutely it sets the stage it sets the expectation and then it just becomes part of the way we do business Um, it's it's foundational yeah and then the governance that you set up all the processes all the procedures and all the controls they're grounded in something that you know speaks to an individual's heart and can be inspiring to them because you know governance can feel a little heavy at times so what are some of the evolving privacy issues that you have to deal with now i know we are dealing with gdpr and california law and all of that but what's kind of what's next what's coming next what are the evolving issues you focus on Yeah, so as the technology continues to advance, we have new capabilities available to us. Um, You know, they're they're more readily available and and accessible to us, um, such as the use of biometrics for access and authentication, making sure that they're being um, protected, right? And that that they're being rolled out appropriately um, and that you're thinking through the implications of 
collecting or storing biometrics. You know, it's just an area where we're seeing a lot of focus right now um, across all industries, not just in financial technology, but all industries. Yeah, but I imagine in financial technology, it's sort of like the, I don't know, the bar's been raised a bit when you're talking about it in that context, because you're talking about, you know, money and, and people's individuals' money and companies' sure. money. And so sure. when you say biometrics, do you mean like face ID and and fingerprint ID to access? Biometrics are measures or calculations related to individuals, uh, an individual or human characteristics, right? So the dimensions of your face, um, your fingerprint, right? Um, Your voice print is another biometric. So those are the three main, you know, uh, biometrics that are used most often um, in technology. So for example, to get into your phone, you might use your facial recognition, even to get into amusement parks these days, you know, sometimes they'll, you know, if you have a multi-day pass, they'll take your fingerprint and use it to get into amusement park that um, I've seen that over the years. Um, So yeah, that's exactly what that is. Sometimes when you're looking at financial information online, like even your own account, it's not exactly intuitive. And so, you know, sometimes I find myself looking at the screen and I'm sort of like, wait a minute, what is that? You know, and I'm crinkling at my eyebrows. Is that information useful? You know, it certainly could be. I think it, it, it requires a lot of transparency around, Uh, you know, that, that the, the client or the individual knows that that's what you're doing, right? And that you're not just doing it without their awareness. Um, Right. Somebody's watching me and I didn't know it. And and that's really an important point because some people are very comfortable with that and they, they like the convenience of what, um, you know, technology can bring them, you know, using a fingerprint, using their facial um, recognition software or, or analyzing their, their, um, facial expressions or even, you know, their location and combining that with where they are, you know, some people are super comfortable with that and Mm -hmm. they, they choose convenience over privacy in that Mm -hmm. regard, right? They say, listen, I, I prefer, I want, I want you to use that information to help me. Other people are much less comfortable, right? And they just are, are not interested in sharing that kind of information. So that's why the transparency is so important, right? Making sure we always go back to those three C's. How does this impact our clients? How does this impact our, our colleagues as well? Because in my role, um, most of what I do is, um, you know, manage the, the computer systems that our employees use, making sure that, you know, they have a convenient way of accessing their um, right. devices, right? Right. So some of them are really comfortable. They, they want to use the fingerprint. They want to use facial recognition and others will say, yeah, no, I'm okay. Well, I'll, I'll memorize the, the password. That's okay. You know, and they're not interested. Yeah. Do you find that breaks down on generational lines or not so much? Anecdotally, I don't have any research on it, but anecdotally, yes, I do think that uh, younger uh, generations or newer, newer uh, folks who are newer to the workforce um, do seem to be a bit more comfortable because they've grown up um, yeah. around the technology. It wasn't new to them necessarily uh, during their working life. But I do think that there is awareness around it. There's a lot of discussion about it, um, you know, and so I think that's important and that then people can make choices based on on good information that's available yeah. to them, which, yeah. you know, is, yeah, it's key. It's really key. So then it becomes not about the individual saying, okay, yes, you can use my finger. I want to use my fingerprint. I want to use my facial I, you know, information. It's kind of behind the curtain, if you will, about an individual's information being used by companies in certain ways. And so that involves a lot of artificial intelligence. 
and some deep machine learning. And there've been, unfortunately, some, you know, misses along the way and some, some cases out there that have popped up that, you know, show that when a, you know, mortgage was offered by a particular bank, not, not, you know, implicating any in particular, but that it came up with a different result for mm-hmm. a woman versus a man or someone who's black versus white or, or credit card and the amount of, um, credit they were given. What responsibility rests with companies who are working with individuals' data to make sure that they aren't injecting bias, for example, into the decisions? Certainly, there is risk there of bias um, in any in any model, financial model, you know, artificial intelligence, any any algorithm that's being written. And I think that's where, you know, AI, machine learning, Financial models are all meant to be tools, right? That are used by um, humans. It's one tool, right? It's not the only tool. And so I think it's really important that, um, so first of all, recognizing that, that it's really critical that we understand the, you know, the algorithms that we test them in the financial services space, there's a concept of model validation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're looking at your financial models um, and there are ways to test to determine if something is, you know, leaning one way or another in terms of bias, if there's an unintended result, whether the the machine is looking at history, right, and learning from history, therefore the historical bias may be built into the algorithm. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's where the the testing comes in, the QA, um, the quality assurance, and then having a human um, again operating the, um, you know, the artificial intelligence or the or the machine learning. At the end of the day. Um, and keeping the checks and balances there to make sure that it's the end result is what you what you want it to be. So that's and I'm you're doing. talking a lot about the governance there, right? For before Absolutely. you roll out AI, and I would imagine that in this new world where we're using AI more and machine learning more, that the governance around uh, how a how a product actually or a system actually comes to market may look a little different than it did in the past. It doesn't sound to me like when you're talking about potential bias and other things that it's just an engineering project or just an information uh, systems project that I would imagine it's a broad cross-section of people across the company that would get involved in looking at different aspects. Absolutely. And and at FIS, we have um, a risk organization, RISC. And as new types of risks emerge, they add to their governance practices those um, additional risk factors, right? To look at and say, okay, what what is the what could be a negative or a possible unintended consequence of yeah. this particular right. product? And um, they assess it for um, both the impact, you know, on um, clients, colleagues, community, right? And then they assess it for uh, the likelihood, right? How likely mm-hmm. is that? to happen? And then how do we adjust for, you know, adjust the product or service to make sure that we're considering all of that and taking that into account? So yes, absolutely. And I think once those structures are there, those governance structures are there and the functions are there, mm-hmm. then any type of um, of risk c- can be assessed using that structure, right? Right. Which then all ties back to why do you have the governance? Because one of your core values is operating with and leading with integrity, right? And so it kind of like all, it it ties it together there. It makes the governance meaningful, you know? I've even heard, Kara, that there could be some new jobs. We may be moving into an area where there are AI auditors. So you do all the testing and all the governance that you've talked about on the front end, but you have have to also have some ongoing monitoring. But that's a different 
different skill set, right? Somebody who can audit an, an, an algorithm, you know, yes. as opposed to a set of financials or, or a business process and say, yes, yes, you have the right governance, but looking at the output, have you guys ventured into that area at all? Or is that still so, evolving? You know, our audit um, function audits everything and they use, you know, the same set of, you know, principles to, to, um, to perform those audits. I was uh, a deputy general auditor as well. And so I learned how to audit any process mm -hmm. um, or as long as you set out with the goal from the beginning is what are you trying to um, assess here, yeah. right? So yeah. what, what's the risk? What's the controls that are, that are in place um, to, to prevent or detect? So yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing that all the time. So we have you know audits of products, um, audits of our services, audits of our technology. And we yeah. have also audits of security and privacy and all yeah. of that, even mm -hmm. though we have the risk program in place, you know, our chief audit executive, um, his organization is, uh, very much, you know, a, a tr trusted advisor and partner, but also sure. a function that, you know, challenges and, and yeah. for potential, yeah. um, issues that need to be addressed for sure. Yeah, I think that's just so important for students in particular to understand that when you're developing some new technology like this, it isn't like it's a one and done. I mean, it's, you, no. you, you have to do all the testing and all, all the governance on the front end, but even after you roll it out, you still have to, you know, maintain right. it and monitor it and, and tinker with it and adjust it. So absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, to be honest, this role that I've been in for about the past year yeah, um, is one of the first times in my career where I wasn't on the risk or audit side mm -hmm. of, the, of the business. I was, I'm now on, on what's called the first line of defense. You have a totally different perspective, you know, depending on which part of the, of the lines of defense you're working in. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, the great part is we have those core values and our focus on our three C's that yeah. ground all of us together. Yeah. So even yeah. though I see things from a different um, perspective because I'm concerned about speed and rolling things out and making sure that we get good adoption and that, you know, people are, are able to, to use all the technology conveniently, right. And easily. Um, but the, the security, the privacy, the, you know, the, the risk side of that is with me all the time. Right. right. It, it, it's baked into way, the way you lead as a business manager, right. which I think is also really important for, you know, students to understand that even as a business leader, you, you have to have these other principles about privacy and data protection, Absolutely. all of those things foremost in your mind, because that's considered the first line of defense. So there Absolutely. is a yes. responsibility there for that. Yeah. So let's, let's turn to the topic of regulation here for a minute and, right. you know, technology, it just develops at the at the speed of light. I mean, it truly does. And if it isn't used responsibly all the time by companies, right, you may find yourself at a place where we often do where there's regulation that's needed, sure. but it doesn't keep up. So it creates this really weird construct where, you know, you've got technology that arguably needs to be regulated in many instances, there is no regulation. So you have a void. And then meanwhile, the regulators are working to come up with something that makes sense. So how do you want to address the void? Like how do we as a system, let's say, address the void? And then two, how do we make sure that when the regulation does come, that it's meaningful and it has the intended yes. yeah. kind of effect and impact? We as business leaders um, and you all as educators, um, you know, we have a responsibility to make sure that we're training people, right, in um, how to think about business ethics that allows us to draw from a talent pool who have been 
um, educated and thinking about and how to process and think about that information. Certainly the, the speed of technology change and change in general, right, is moving at a faster pace than ever before. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. I think our governance structures in, you know, in the U.S. and the federal and state government level, right, move right. At, a, at a different pace. But we also have access to a lot more information um, than we, we have had in the past, right? You know, when you have the foundation of good governance within a company, then while the problems may change and the technology may be different, your value system, the way that you analyze a problem or a potential um, new product or new technology or, you know, really any, um, anything new that you're developing, that really stays pretty much the same um, yeah. in terms of the, the way you analyze it, right? And, and the things you're thinking about in terms of, um, you know, the impacts. But I also think it's really important that, you know, the connection between the private sector and the public sector is very strong. And, and I think that's when you get the best regulation is when the private sector voices and, and explains their views. I think in the absence of that, you're right, you can end up with a law or regulation that wasn't fully understood and mm. is being implemented or interpreted in a way that doesn't meet the original purpose um, mm. or has um, creates some other issue that was unintended, right? right. So right. getting back to the importance, I, I can't say enough about the importance of training our young um, people on, you know, business ethics and how to think about these, you know, issues and challenges we have uh, in the world, whether it be tech ethics or really any area of, of um, ethical business management, I think is, is critical. Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. It's why I'm thrilled again that you're on my external advisory board and I'm just thrilled to be doing what we're doing. Kara, this has been a fabulous conversation about fintech and I'm afraid we're out of time and we're going to have to leave it there. But I do want to ask you one last question. For those sure. who want to go a bit deeper on this topic of sure. tech ethics, um, maybe as it specifically applies in the fintech area, do you have any good resources or, I don't know, a good documentary or a podcast or a book or, or something? or just a, even a reference, a site that where yeah, someone could go? Sure. I've been really watching um, what the World Economic Forum is doing right now. And they're leading a project um, called the Responsible Use of Technology. Yeah. And there's quite a bit um, of work going on there. So there've been some business cases with some pretty large companies. They're really interesting to, to watch that, that um, project and see what mm -hmm. they're doing. Mm -hmm. it, it's very, it's a huge group of, of businesses um, and, and some educate, educators, educators as well coming yeah. together, some universities um, coming together as well to tackle these questions and these challenges. So that's something that I think, um, you know, the students and anyone listening to the podcast might want to check out to see what's yeah. going on. As I said, yeah. there's some really interesting cases case studies on there that and I think a lot of it's just available on their website so we'll put the link to that in the show notes for everyone so they've got access to that that's great, great. that's great well Kara this has been a really great conversation and I just always enjoy visiting with you thank you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your thoughts and your experience with the audience today it's uh, I know everyone will learn a lot oh thank you so much for having me appreciate it all right thanks Kara bye-bye Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. 
Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.